2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 11, hear the word of the Lord. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We are accustomed to having instructions given to us based on truths about us, or truths about what we have been given, the privileges that we have. Uh, There are arguments like this. You are a student, so you should do what? Study, right? Why? Because of who you are. You're a student, so you should study. You are a basketball player, so you should practice your foul shots. Why? Because that's who you are. Uh, You are... Uh, You are someone with a college degree, so you should get a job, for example. You've had this privilege of having this college degree, so that requires some action on your part. We're accustomed to this sort of thing. You are part of a republic in which you have the right to vote, so you should vote, for example. These are instructions that we're used to. You have this privilege, you have this quality about you, therefore... Therefore, you should act in accordance with. And this is really a, a biblical pattern. This is a biblical way of, of, of positioning ethics or behavior. And that's how we find constantly in the Scripture. The Scripture does not come to us and say, try to be something by your behavior. Maybe you'll become that. It says, no, this is what you have. This is what you are. This is what you've been given. So, therefore, live in accordance with what you are and with what God has God has given you. Now, in the first four verses last week, we came across some startling, astounding truths. If you recall, we learned that we have, if we are believers, a faith on par with the faith of the original disciples. We also heard a clear declaration that Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh. We also learned that God has granted us everything we need to live in a godly fashion, and most astoundingly of all, perhaps, or equally astoundingly, we have become sharers, participants, communicants in God, in the divine nature. Now, after saying all of that, Peter begins to say, therefore... If you have received all that, if this is who you are, if this is what you received, therefore, if you look at verse 5, how does it start? For this 
very reason, because of what we have seen heretofore, up to this point, for this very reason, this is how you should respond. And we'll find much of the rest of the letter is that. But as we read much of the rest or the rest of the letter, we need to keep going back to verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1 to remember that this is the response to all that we have been given. Now, this is a, um, a, a colorful way of, of stating the, the instruction here, the command here, verse 5. For this very reason, our translation says, make every effort to supplement. Make every effort to supplement. It's very colorful. It's, it's bring alongside of. Make haste. Make all diligence to bring in alongside of. And then he gives a list of virtues, a list of qualities, a list of characteristics. Now, last week we observed something. We observed that world religions tend to say, if you will exert a certain amount of effort on your part, human effort on your part, you can achieve a certain relationship with God. So you exert effort, and then you will eventually be able to, in the best of circumstances, to establish a good relationship with God. And we saw that Christianity starts with God coming in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, and establishing with us a relationship by giving His own life for us, dying for our sins, rising from the dead, and giving us the gifts that we've already seen in verses 1-4. to Giving us communion with God. So communion with God is not the goal. Communion with God is the starting point. It's that which is granted to us. However, there's a liability to misunderstand this, and sometimes you will hear people express Christianity in this way. Well, well, other religions are about human effort, but in Christianity there's no human effort. You will hear it presented that way. But that's not what this text says. That's not what biblical ethics say. The difference is not whether or not there is human effort involved, The difference is, at what point does the human effort enter, and why is the human effort there? And what we see here is that human effort in the Christian faith comes after the fact that God has already granted us everything we need for godly living, and it it comes in because God has already granted us everything we need. So it's not like try hard in order that you might have what you need. No, God has already given you everything you need. So this is not an impossible task that you've been given. You've been given everything you need. And so therefore, for this very reason, verse 5, make every effort, be diligent, make haste to bring alongside. And then we have this this list. Now, um, although our faith, as we saw last week, is on par with that of the original disciples, it needs constant supplementing. And here the translation says supplement or supply. So it needs supplementation, even as the faith of the original disciples did as well. Read the Gospels, you will find that their faith constantly needed supplementing as well. And here this list of qualities that we have shares some elements with other lists. There are these these virtue lists in the New Testament. You could think of the fruit of the Spirit, for example. And there's some overlap here. 
You will find, for example, you will find faith. You will find self-control. Uh, in the, in the, the list we read in Philippians 4.8, you will find uh, some of the same virtues here. But then there's some other ones that are, are added and different as well. It's interesting, as we saw last week, what Peter is doing here, he is using words that Romans would have been familiar with. And he uses three virtues here that were some of the the important virtues in Roman religion and philosophy. They were the word that's translated here, virtue or moral excellence, uh, self-control, and godliness. These are things that Romans would have said, yes, this is what a, a Roman should aspire to. But the the move that, that Peter is making, he is taking these words that they would have understood in their context, and he's filling them with Christian content. He's, he's taking them and saying, yes, but this is what we mean by these words. In accordance with the New Testament ethics, all through the New Testament, Jesus, the apostles, it begins with faith and it ends with love. If you look at this list, it begins with faith and it ends with love. This is what we find all through the New Testament. Um, Paul said, circumcision, incircumcision, these aren't important questions. What matters is faith. Working through love. Faith and love. And then we have these other characteristics, these other qualities in the middle. Now, there are different ideas about how these fit together. There are some who say these are very specific and logical order, that one leads to the other. So if you look at these, it says, in your, in your uh, faith, verse 5, make every effort to supply your faith with virtue, Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Now, there is movement in this list. Certainly there's movement, but the question is, are each of these in a specific logical order? They may be, they may be, but it's hard to discern it. It's hard to discern it. They may be. Um, But I want you to notice one of the qualities that's right in the middle, and we've already seen this, knowledge. Knowledge is very important in this letter that we need to know. Now, I want you to to listen to a paraphrase of these. Uh, We can listen to this list and and maybe have some some sort of idea about what these these have to do with, these these words. They're not unfamiliar to us. Um, And at the same time, perhaps perhaps we need a a fresh way of of looking at these. So I've made a little paraphrase to see if if this brings out some of their meaning in more colloquial language. Here's my attempt. Work as hard as you can to live out your faith with moral integrity. Making sure your moral integrity is based on knowledge of the truth. And as you discipline your mind... By learning the truth, keep control of your passions as well. And continue to control yourself constantly all the way to the rest of your life, the end of your life. Always orienting your life toward God, but not only toward God, but also towards doing good to others. And not only doing good to others, but sacrificing yourself for the best of other people. Now, if you think about that, that, that list, that instruction, you can see that this is a robust plan for life. Uh, if, if, you, if you look at each of these and if you look at all of them together, you can say, well, this is a, a project 
for life. This will, this will take all of my life and it will take attention each day of my life. And that's the whole idea here. This is a plan for living. And I want you to notice another thing. That this plan for living does not depend in the least on your circumstances. If you are, are abounding in wealth, you can put this plan into effect. If you are, if you are struggling with, with a lack of resources, you can put this plan into effect. If you're living in a time of peace and health and prosperity, you can work on this plan. If you're living under a pandemic, you can put this plan into effect. If you're employed, if you're unemployed, if you're older, if you're younger, if you're male, if you're female, if you're married, if you're single, whatever your situation might be, this plan does not depend on your circumstances. This is a plan that every Christian at all times, in all places, can make every effort to put into effect. And I want you to see, as well, Peter wants you to see, the, the effects of, of following this plan. And the first one is the avoidance of the negative. So happiness in life depends on avoiding the negative and having the positive, right? And so first he says, if you put these things into effect, if you pursue with diligence these qualities, and if they are, are growing in your life, then you will avoid some negative things and you will have some amazing positive things. Verse 8 says that if these qualities are yours and are Increasing, And by the way, they will be. If you are diligent to add to, if you are diligent to supply, if you are diligent to supplement these things, then they will be yours. And they will be increasing. Now, if they are yours and they, will, they are increasing, they will rescue you from a wasted life. They will rescue you from a wasted life. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the what? Knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So your knowledge will not just sit there. Your knowledge of Jesus, whatever it is, will not just sit there and be unproductive and unfruitful. It will be effective, to say it positively, and it will be fruitful. And then, in verse 9, he says, if you lack these qualities, if you lack these qualities then you don't understand anything. You, you're, you're so nearsighted that, that you can't even see. You have become blinded. You've blinded yourself. Verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. And then it says, tragically, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You will forget the gospel you will forget the gospel if you are not diligently practicing and pursuing these qualities in your life. And I have to say, I've seen this, tragically, as a pastor over these 30-some years, time and time again. Every once in a while, I run into somebody who says, I, I used to believe the gospel, and now I, I no longer believe it because I have intellectual problems with it. Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody like that. But much more often, much more often, I run into people who simply forget to live out the gospel. They neglect to supplement. They neglect to bring alongside. They, they neglect to supply these qualities to their faith. And they get out of the habit of living 
as Christians. And then, when you talk to them, after usually months or usually years of this sort of neglect of, of Christian living, they've forgotten the gospel. And when you talk to them about the gospel, they, they don't seem to remember the gospel. It's, it's like their minds have been erased of the truth because they didn't put it into practice. And that's what he says here. They've become so so nearsighted that they've become actually blind to the truth that they once understood in part. And he says they've forgotten the gospel that, that offers us the cleansing from our sins. And they've forgotten all about that. And I've talked to people, and tragically I have to say, even people who were members of my church but just went on and, and neglected, neglected to... to, to, to to apply diligence, to, to grow in these areas. And I've talked to them years later, and I talked to them about faith, and it's like they don't know anything about it. Even though they professed their faith, and even though they were baptized as believers in our church. And I talk to them and say, well, I'm trying to be a good person, and I think God will be happy with me if I do that. I'm like, what happened? Do you not recall the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came for sinners, that gave himself for sinners, that rose for sinners? You see, that's the great danger. That's the great tragedy. If we don't have these qualities in ourselves and in increasing measure. Now, this list of qualities, they're here for a reason. They are something like a checklist. They are here to help us to look at these things and and ask ourselves, is this in my life? Am I adding moral excellence to my faith? Am I adding knowledge to my, my moral excellence? Am I, am I adding self-control to my knowledge? Am I adding steadfastness, perseverance to my self-control? Godliness to my steadfastness? Brotherly love, brotherly affection to my, to my godliness? And above all, am I adding love? This is a good checklist, but it's not only a checklist for personal inventory. It's actually more helpful if we ask somebody else, isn't it? Because we can say, oh yeah, 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 I got that, mm-hmm, that's there. But, but others will be better judges of whether it's there or not. Those closest to us will be the ones most helpful to us if we're willing to hear what they have to say. So this is a, this is a very practical uh, list that Peter is giving us here. Now, the, the positive comes in verses 10 to 11. We've seen what we can avoid by having these. But the growth that, 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 that comes from diligence in these areas confirms, confirms to you and everyone else that you belong to God. Um, God's uh, election, he mentions two, two things that God does here, two benefits that God gives us. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and Election. Let's talk a little bit about calling and election. And let's take them in, in a different order than he. Uh, election first. What is election? Well, if you go to, for example, Ephesians 1.4, it says that God has chosen us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. And you find this, this idea of God's choosing all through the Scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament. It's, it's all through the Scriptures. That God chooses His people to be his people. That's in all in all eternity. And then we have something that is historical. God's calling. That is when the gospel comes to us and we we believe it. 
Why do we believe it? Because God has drawn us to believe it. God has enabled us to believe it. He has called us effectively to Himself. So we have one benefit that's in eternity and another benefit that's in our lives. If we have become Christians, we have become Christians because we have been called by God to believe in Jesus. So chronologically or logically, election goes before calling, doesn't it? So eternity and then personal history. But the order here is reversed, and it may be that it's reversed. Make sure of your calling and election. It may be reversed because we're going from the the one that we could actually remember to one that is mysterious to us in eternity. So it might be something like this. Make all effort, and it's the same, one of the same words here, the diligence here. Make all haste, make all effort, make all uh, uh, diligence to confirm your calling, which, which you experienced. And so that's, that's something that's more within your grasp. Okay, I, I do remember, I remember that so-and-so shared the gospel with me, or my parents raised me in the faith, and I, I remember that experience of being called to Jesus, and he's saying, you can confirm that. But what about the other one? Election confirm not only your calling, but even your election. So it looks like he's building from the the most the more accessible one that we can remember to the one that's more mysterious because we don't have a list somewhere that's published of those whom God has chosen. But he says we can confirm it. Now, how how can we know about God's secret election from all? Eternity. It sounds impossible, doesn't it? But Peter's saying, confirm it. How can we do that? And the answer is this. Because his choice, his election, shows itself in the lives of those he has chosen. And we, a rough analogy to this would be an expectation that we have. We just came through an election cycle, didn't we? Where we were the ones doing the electing. And what we expect in our elected officials is that once they are chosen that they would give evidence of having been elected. Isn't that right? We expect the one whom we elect as president to act presidential. We expect the one whom we have elected as governor to act gubernatorial. We elect someone to be mayor, and then we look to the mayor and we say to him or her, we expect you to show in your lives mayoral qualities. Show your election demonstrated in the way you live your life. And there's something like that here. You can, you can demonstrate that God has chosen you from all eternity. You can show it to yourselves and to others. How? By these things. And I want you to notice here. He says in verse 5, Make every effort to supplement your faith with this list of things. And then in verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Similar language to confirm your calling and election. These are not two things. These are one. If we are being diligent to supplement in our faith these things, we are confirming our calling and our election. And so the way to confirm the election is not to meditate on it, It's rather to add these qualities in our lives. And it turns out here, um, it mentions these things. If you look at at, um, verse 10, it says, For if you practice these things, translated here, these qualities, we will have the benefit 
of never falling. Never falling. Now, what could it possibly mean that we never fall? Well, it can't mean, as you know from experience and as you know from reading Scripture, Peter's example, for example, many other examples, you know that it cannot mean that you will never sin. It cannot mean that you will never stumble. It cannot mean that you will never skin your knees or your hands in the Christian life. You will, you will likely stumble in many ways. James says that. We all stumble in many ways. But you will not fall so as not to get up again. You will never fall utterly. You will never fall to destruction. In other words, you'll confirm that you're elect. Why? Because the elect, what happens in the lives of the elect? Well, they practice perseverance. They, they, they get up. And they keep going. You will never fail. You will never fall Ultimately, and in addition to that, and here's the the crescendo, you confirm your calling and election, you will never fall. And then in verse 11, for in this way, for in this way will be richly provided for you. And here's a passive voice here, but it's what's called the divine passive richly provided for you by whom to say it more directly. God will provide for you what? An entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You will confirm now your calling and election. You will never fall ultimately. And when the time comes, you will have a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, this rich welcome contrasts with a couple of things we find in Scripture. Most um, most starkly, it contrasts with the tragic surprise rejection of some who thought they should get in and are left outside the door. And Jesus tells the tragic story of them back in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, not everyone who calls himself by my name, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. And he says, in that day, many will stand outside and they will say, Lord, look at all the things we've done. Look at all the ministry we've accomplished. And from inside, the Lord says, I never knew you. I I don't have a relationship with you. We're not in communion. You've not received that, that communion with me. That, that's that's a, a very stark contrast. Rich welcome as compared to surprise rejection. But there's another interesting contrast that is not quite as stark, and that's between the rich welcome and what, what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians about sort of getting in by the skin of your teeth, if we could say it that way. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how we build our lives. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there is, there is something of a welcome here. But it's a, it's a bare welcome, as you were. There's a loss involved in this welcome. Yes, it's, it's entry into the kingdom, but, but with nothing to show for one's life. And so this is tragic as well, although it says here that he will be saved, but, but without having anything to show, with the, the works of one's life being burned up. So in contrast to the surprise rejection, in contrast to the the bare welcome, if we could call it that, we have here a, a rich welcome, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. And the goal, the goal is not, you know, as, as, I, as I paint these different options, of course, we're liable and likely, and this is a good thing to be thinking, in which of these categories am I? And as we're asking that question, the goal is not, how little can I get away with and still get in? How, how little effort can I exert? How little growth can I experience as a Christian and, and still get in by, as it were, the, the skin of my teeth? That's not the goal. The goal is to have a rich welcome. The goal is to have a confirmed calling and election in this life and then when this life ends, however that might be, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we won't, we won't say that, that those who enter in with little to show, I mean, they're, they're saved by the blood of Christ just as anyone else is. No one gets in by his or her good works. But, but we don't want to get in with, with a loss attended. We don't want to get in with our works having burned up. We want to get in with, with something to show for these years that God has given to us. And this that we're seeing described here is the best plan. This is the best plan for our lives. Let me, let me review the plan for you so that you, you see the beauty thereof and it, that we all aspire to say, yes, this is the life. This is the good life. This is the true life. This is the life that I want to live. It's a life of having everything we need for godly living. It's a life of being in constant communion with God Himself. It's a life of always growing in ways that are beneficial to others and to myself. It's a life of being effective and fruitful. It's a life of constant rejoicing in the fact that our sins are forgiven because of Christ's work for us. It's a life of being certain that we belong to God And it's a life that ends by a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as many have remarked, our problem is not that we want too much. Our problem is that we settle for too little. And I pray, O God, that You would enable us to add to, to supplement, to supply so that we would not have the bare minimum, but that we would have the glorious maximum possible for a human being. Lord, you've already given us all that we need. 
And we pray that having all that we need in Jesus, that you would enable us to supply these qualities by the provision that you have given to us. That we might confirm our calling and election in this life. That we may never fall ultimately. And so that we might receive that rich welcome into your kingdom when the time comes. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.